I've been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. <laughs> Inevitable. Took us quicker than we expected, but it was inevitable. And so, and so, listen. I want you to take a mo- moment to think of a podcast in South Africa. And if you're not thinking about the Bank Bros podcast, <laughs> then you're not thinking about the number one podcast in South Africa. Anyone doesn't matter which one you think of, as long as it's not the Bank Bros podcast, it's not the number one podcast in South Africa. <laughs> Dude, how are you feeling? Dude, I partied hard, man. I'm hungover. What do you mean? Where are you coming from, Vince? Dude, out of the shadows, man. Like, I don't know what the last 48 hours have been, but it's been wild. I, I deny all knowledge of those, those photos, You're man. You're supposed to be like Monopoly Capital, Vince. <laughs> exactly. Why do you think I was a conquer? <laughs> Tell us about your little truck being so into, Vince. Oh, dude. Eye-opening, man, eye-opening. I uh, Look, I've gone from Sen to Soweto in 24 hours. That's been like the last couple of hours, like day for me. I've, I've seen everything, man. I've seen it all now. What do you think about the cash economy? Large and invisible. And actually, like the scale, you, you don't realize until you actually go there. Every street corner, there's a place. Everyone is trading. It's ridiculous. It is enormous. Vince, do you want to take five seconds to tell the people, the millions and millions of people, why you were in Soweto? Um, I, I took the wrong exit on the highway and... Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I got wrong turn. turn. Bad movie starring Batista. <laughs> no, there's a real bad movie. No, we were actually there. Um, it was really great. There's a... There's a business that's uh, kind of built and grown in Soweto over the last year. And they took us on, on a little tour. Very, uh, very uh, sort of st- structured. A huge amount of chicken. You have no idea how much chicken people eat in Soweto. I, I have a whole new appreciation for that now. Um, no, but we, we basically had a tour of the place. Uh, just kind of see it from the inside, you know. Not what the tourists see. Tourists go to the malls and they go to like the, the places, you know, built to to sell $10 Savannah lights, you know, we, we went behind the scenes, um, and it was awesome. There we go. Vince, man of the people in the township economy, highlighting entrepreneurial spirit in South Africa. We see you, Vince. You keep up the good work, my man. Secure like that you. bag. Go get that bag. That bag. That Louis Vuitton bag. Now, corporate game of thrones. 
else is a ladder. What do you have to say about corporate Game of Thrones? Let's kick off. Many people start out after university. They feel like, oh, I'm gonna get a salary, get a paycheck, fall out, get that M4, adult raise apartments on the highway overlooking those heavy traffic places. <laughs> but you know what? When you hit your 30s, after a couple of years, late 20s, you need time off, you're burnt out, you're exhausted, you can't do this anymore. You wonder, how can I survive just to get two weeks of paid leave, sit in traffic every single day and listen to stories about Karen's badly behaved kids? Surely there's more. Why am I stuck here in this pyramid scheme, this Ponzi scheme that we call a corporate? Let's start off with the disconnect in expectations versus reality. When you get into a corporate job, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, and so I've had more than one corporate job in my short yet eventful career so far. And what, what, what is often the case and what is often so blatantly clear is that High-pressure corporate jobs are exceptional at marketing. You know, they create this, this perpetual allure and attractiveness around spending 12 to 16 hours a day, every day working for them. And it's a, re it's a mechanism that reinforces, um, and it's one that continually attracts the best and the brightest year after year to do this type, this type of work. And, and, and so you go in with the expectation, oh, I'm gonna be a big baller. I'm gonna be a shot caller. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be like, uh, gonna be like, like Ye. I'm gonna be like Kanye. And then you're there and you're building slides. You're not even building slides. You know, you're not even entrusted with, 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 with the responsibility to build a slide. You are aligning boxes on the slide and still doing a bad job of it. And it is such a massive drop from the intellectual stimulation oh. of being in a postgraduate and working on really, really difficult, complex topics and navigating ambiguity to being at the very bottom of the pyramid and not even being entrusted to do menial work. Yet required to be there. Sean, Sean, listen, listen, dude, you didn't warn me it was going to get this real, man. Fuck, the amount of boxes I've aligned in my career, holy shit. No, dude, yes, this, is, this is too much. I think I'm going to drink. Uh, <laughs> but, dude, you're so right. I mean, I, I also, I worked in that environment, and one of the things that made me quit was we spent about nine months on a pitch, most of it, PowerPoint decks, research, spreadsheets, models, diagrams, only after nine months to have a whole project cancelled because they were never actually going to go with us anyway. Um, and I had spent like a good chunk of my life building what amounted to a PowerPoint deck that no one even looked at. Like that's the reality at the end of it. That, that was a bit brutal. You know, my favorite thing is career fairs. Career fairs. You go into career fair, you see chartered accounting, CASA, CASA, CFA. You see all these designations, these qualifications, guys dressed in suits, people giving you expensive flasks and water bottles and pens and stationery and showing you promo videos. And in the promo video, it shows you Thomas is 22 years old and he's in London. And Lexigal is he's in Dubai. 
and he's sipping cappuccinos, eating pella chocolate. Man is living the life. He goes to gym. Halfway through the day, Jessica does yoga. He comes up back in to the, the afternoon. In the afternoon, he has a, he has a catch up with the CEO. After gym, yo, he's sitting there. He's sitting there and he's like, hey, Robert, I think we should do another special purpose acquisition company. And the, and the CEO is taking notes. <laughs> and he's taking notes. And he's out there and there's a private jet and there's yachts. There's nightlife in the city. And then you sign up for the job and you sign up for the Deloitte KPMG PWC. Name your favorite accounting company. I say Arthur Anderson. <laughs> you sign up for that company. You know what you get? You get 3 a.m., you get cold pizzas, you get Uber X's, not even Uber Blacks, you're flying economy, and you're having someone sit on your lap because it's cost-cutting. That is what corporate really is like. <laughs> it's expectations versus reality. You're taking me back here, Vince. Rick, you're taking me back. back. Look, throw back, Vince. I mean, part, part of the problem is also we... We create this unhealthy society, and, and it's true for... I'm going I'm to get deep here. I'm going to get deep here, folks. You know, we get, it's true of particularly those who are first-generation, uh, you know, white-collar workers. We, there is this reinforced attitude towards, you know, having, a, a, having highly paid jobs. And the, and, and the view is, you know, you have a great job because it's a highly paid job. And often those are the corporate jobs. And, and so, you, you know, your, your entire social, your entire support structure, your friends, your family, they, they, they are proud of you for, having, for being in this kind of environment. They're proud of you for working for a, as reputable a firm as a big accounting firm or as reputable a firm as a big uh, investment bank. And, and so, you know, you are institutionalized to be grateful for this. And, and that can often be an unhealthy thing or it can have un- unhealthy consequences because you get in there and you are absolutely miserable. You hate it. You're, you are sleep deprived. You're mm-hmm. not eating well. You're putting on weight. You're miserable. You're fighting with your colleagues. Your relationships are taking strain. But at the same time, you are, you are so, like, you are, in, you are, brainwashed for lack of a better word to be so grateful for the opportunity that you're not even you don't even allow yourself to complain about this you don't even allow yourself to get help and get intervention and reach out to people because a lot of those people you feel wouldn't understand because all they see is the glamour and the outside and they think how could you not want this but they don't know what it's like once you have it yeah Yeah, not only that but it's like if you're living this experience and it's nothing like the, the brochure that you saw at the start, you think you're doing something wrong. It's like, okay, clearly I must just work harder or do something differently because, you know, this jetting off to meet the CEO in London video that's stuck in my head now, this isn't happening and it must be something I'm doing wrong because everyone around me also seems to think this is normal. Uh, you know, that's very much the environment I was in as well. It's, it's difficult to, to reconcile that sort of thing. I mean, I, I spent about two years traveling. I've touched down on every continent on the planet. I have a map of every airport oh, I've been to. What a flex. What it's a flex. A... Private jets. Carbon emissions. <laughs> Greta Thunberg is going to be on your I've, ass, boy. I've single-handedly Cop- killed like three trees at least. <laughs> Today. Like, just disclosing. Dude, no, listen. But people see that and they, what they picture is the outside. 
like, oh, you're seeing all these new countries. It's everything I want to do. So I'll, I'll tell you from the inside, it's it's airport queues and, you know, security okay. lines. Oh, my God, the security lines. And then sitting in planes and sitting in boardrooms. I mean, that, that's pretty much what it is. Um, but And then if you complain about it, the people from the outside who don't understand this, they're like, why are you complaining? You're getting to do all these awesome things. And it's like, but actually it's grinding you down. And that's why a lot of people flush out by the time they're 30. Fitz, you, will, you know, people will never understand the hardship of traveling to some fuck off African country and it's a business meeting. So you have to wear, you have to wear a, a, like a nice, a proper pants and a collared shirt. And you are there standing in the bush in the middle of, I don't know, terrorist, a terrorist outpost in, the, in some African country sweating because you have to wear layers upon layers because it's a formal meeting. There are, there are mosquitoes the size of birds flying around you and you have to smile and discuss the project there. It is, it is surreal. <laughs> Every week for six months, at one point, you're wearing flair. Had to go to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And he had to wear a shirt, a white collar shirt that stuck to him like a wet t shirt contest. I couldn't even use it for my only fans. It was horrible. You had to peel it off. You had to peel everything off. You had to go through security. You had to get searched. You had to 44, 45 degree heat. You're drinking water, but you are still thirsty. You're always thirsty. Ric Flair is always thirsty. Travel is not as sexy as people make it out to be. You're living out of a suitcase. You're living in a part of hotels. You're out there struggling with Wi-Fi. You're working. You're not sightseeing. This is not a holiday. You're not watching movies on a laptop. You go out there. You fly a long-haul flight. You put your laptop on and you work. Because guess what? They have Wi-Fi on planes now. There's no escaping those markups and those PowerPoint slides and those financial models. You're building it. When you other people are sleeping on that plane, you're building models. You're not doing models. You're building models. And this is not business class. It's not first class. You don't have your own weight. You don't have your own shower. You're out there patting yourself down with those wet little hand towels on the plane. And, he and here's the thing. You know, you often think that this it's going to be glam glamorous and luxurious. And the truth is that from, from a lot of travel, the practical limit on how luxurious it can be is low. If you are traveling, you are sometimes going to places where the nicest hotel is effectively a two-star hotel because you're in the middle of nowhere. So you could be in the nicest hotel in that village. But my guy, my girl, hey, you are, you are, still, you are still showering in a, in, in, in a sink. Because hey, it is it's rough out there. The toilet doesn't flush. The the bed sheets feel like newspaper, and that's the best that they can give you. You guys are really overselling how good this is. I like it. <laughs> five star, five star, five star travel. And look, travel is great. Don't get us wrong. It's important. It's incredibly important for your personal growth to get out there. To be out there, connecting with people, having those relationships, building your personal brand, developing those skills. But here's the thing. Don't ever join any organization, corporate, career path because you fall in love with the illusion of the success. Fall in love with the process. Not where you think it's going to get you. And all of those glamorous things are inevitable. They come. They come with time. But focus on developing those technical, hard, marketable, future-proof skills. That's the most important thing to do. 
will you step into a corporate? And you've got to do it consciously, Vince. You've got to have a list of things yeah. that you want to upskill at within a short space of time. Tick those boxes off and have a game plan to move on because you will wake up 30 years later in a corporate, in that cubicle, still going and getting two weeks of leave a year and be very disillusioned with your life. No, man, absolutely. And look, I mean, ultimately, you are, to, to piggyback off that, you are responsible for your own interpersonal development. And, and as Rick very correctly said, you need to, the more direct and structured you can be about it, the better it is for you. If you have a clear view on the skills and the, the, the competencies you want to develop, it allows you to wield whatever influence you have to put yourself in a position to develop those skills, A. And then B, it also allows you to write your own narrative around your career progression and your development. Because when the time comes for a promotion, you can go to them and say, I have done X, Y, Z. I have developed this, these following skills. This is why I am positioned to perform at this level and in this timeline. It's a lot easier than you outsourcing articulating your development to the organization where you just go in front of them and say, hey guys, I feel like I've done well. Do you agree? And now it's up to them to agree or disagree. Take control and ownership of your career and your yep. development and you will see how promotion timelines start to fall into place. Promotion. Promotion. That's what we're talking about. We talk about climbing the ladder, chaos of the ladder. You're climbing that career ladder unapologetically taking what's yours but here's the thing you go in as hot shots straight out of university you've got all the game plans in the world to change the corporate because it's archaic there's full of red tape you're going to be the one to change the game you're going to do big things but here's the thing you're going to use your matchups with the ceo you got that you saw in the video the exactly you are the ceo with the good haircuts and you're going to go out there and shop for suits and guess what you don't want to shop for anything you're going to be shopping for Uber Eats at 10 p.m. when you're the badly built XR model. You know why? Because you didn't learn how to do real lookups. And that's why you got hashtag rep throughout that workbook. Corporates are incubators for mediocrity. Why? The system is far too rigid. You got red tape that's suffocating these breakthrough ideas. From inception to execution, sometimes takes years. Both Vince and HBK can talk about how difficult it is to get a new idea implemented in a corporate. There's more steps than there is up on the yeah. Great Wall of China. This is tough. It, it's up here. Um, the, 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 very, the very safe sounding name for it is change management. Uh, and that, that's a whole career on its own. Just getting people to listen to and agree and think it's worth trying something and then trying it and then fighting every step of the way to prove that your way is better. It, it takes a lot out of you to actually move the needle in, in an organization like that. There are a few people that have the absolute strength of will to do that. I'll be honest and say I wasn't one of them. Um, I actually took the path uh, that, that, that Sean mentioned where it's you, you decide what you want to learn and you use the corporate as your place of learning and of development. They paid me at, to learn how to do software and systems and eventually lead a team and hire a team. And by the time I left, I had all the skills I needed to build my own business. And that's exactly what I did. Um, turns out that is the faster way to get to where you want to go than thinking that, you know, like 
is that you can change the way a big corporate works. Because I think that the most frustrating thing, especially if you're brand new, you can't understand why everybody is doing things so badly. Like, why does it take two weeks to get this form through? You know, why does, why do we have these processes? Why is the internal website so crap? And if you stay there long enough, you realize it's because it's people. It's lots and lots of people that have been there before you. And if you want to make a big change in a corporate, you have to fight basically every day to make that happen. But some people love bureaucracy, SPK. They thrive on it. Yeah. No, and they do. And here's the thing. You know, we, we now, as, as Banker X, we, we operate in, in a, an early-stage startup environment. And, and the consequence of that is we are able to make decisions very quickly and, and implement them and pivot very quickly. And a lot of all, every organization starts off like that. They're able to innovate quickly. They're able to execute on creativity. But the problem is as you get bigger and as you start growing, you start adding layers of management. You start adding layers of process. You start adding layers of governance. And that's essential. You have to do it because you have to manage the downside risk of what is now a bigger organization. The consequence of that is you start to create little kingdoms within your organization. You have a, you have a Lord Commander of, of Winterfell who is there managing the client business. You have the, you know, you have the Warden of Harrenhal. You have, you have Mordor there. You have Sauron there. You have all these guys who are managing their little kingdoms. You have their little teams. And when you come in, no, I'm just going to say, yeah, Queen Gretchen of payroll, specifically. You got Queen, Get, you got Queen Gretchen. Gretchen of payroll. You have, you have, you have, you have Queen, Ka you have, you have King Kaya who runs a specific team there and they, in the retail business. And he's been doing things for the past 20 years. You and have Margin Boo running the commercial bank. You got you Margin got Boo running the commercial bank. You got Frieza who's running credit. You've got the leverage finance team run by myself. <laughs> and, and he's not even meant to be sell because somebody told him that he needs to sell and now he's become sell. But, but the point is, <laughs> the point is that what, what that does is it, it becomes a massive inhibitor to A, cross collaboration, but B, creativity, because everybody starts to own their kingdom and they see disruption as a threat to their power base, to the status quo. If you go in and tell somebody, I can, I have a way for you, for this job to become more efficient, that person looks at it and equates efficiency to reduction, less people, less power, less oversight, less authority, and that ultimately is uncomfortable. That means that their position is at threat and they are not always incentivized to encourage it. You to go to them and say cross-collaboration, that says to them, they now, they now have to outsource in part a decision to someone else. It means they are losing autonomy. It means they are losing power, and they need a lot of convincing to do that. So what happens is over time, the organizational structure means that it's a lot harder to change things. But what do you say? Corporate reward conformity. The type of people that progress through middle management, they're the class prefect types, right? They love rules. The rule breakers don't last too long in the corporate. They get worked out of the system far too 
quickly. But that's yeah. because Gretchen in payroll, she wants somebody who's going to play ball with her. She she will she's gonna knock off at 2 p.m. every day because she needs to pick her kids up. She doesn't want somebody who's going to email her at three and say, I need this done today. She wants somebody who's going to cater to her whims. She wants somebody who's gonna fit in with her. And if you do that, if you subscribe to the way she wants things done, she's happy. The moment you start pushing her, the moment you start making things a little bit uncomfortable, then there's conflict. And then it comes out, I have been doing this for 20 years. Who are you to tell me how to do my job? <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Gretchen is not doing her job. Oh, there are so many Gretchens in the real world. It, it, it's actually insane. And yes, uh, Rick, corporates do reward conformity because conformity is stability. And the People like stability, even if it comes at the cost of creativity or growth or anything exciting. There are people that would rather show up every day for 40 years and do spreadsheets. I personally couldn't imagine being that sort of person, but they do exist and they get jobs with big corporates. Um, you know, that is how these large companies stay in business forever. I mean, I can't actually imagine a big corporate being disruptive, you know, to any huge extent just because it's the nature of people and trying to be risk avoidant in the decisions that they make. I think, isn't it that people will fear, if you ask somebody, you know, that a chance to win 100 Rand or to lose 10 Rand, they would rather not take the gamble because they fear losing smaller amounts than they might otherwise gain with that uh, risk avoidance. Daniel Kahneman. There we go. Thinking fast and slow, agency theory. But a big part of that is also because companies focus on process and not outcomes. If you finish your task in two hours, you should be able to go home. No chance. No chance. Is that what you've got? The business finds more useless shit for you to do, and as a result, you end up doing a three-hour job over eight hours. And you see it all the time. Coffee break, conversation. If someone does three hours of focused work, I'm not talking about investment banking and consulting where it's high pressure and you're always grinding. I'm talking about common nine to four, nine to five jobs where people become worse off because the system wants them to FaceTime and always be online and always seem like they're working. And they're not task focused. They're not task focused. They're not outcome focused. And they only care about the process. And the converse of that is you have organizations where nobody wants to put their name to something that has downside because they don't miss and, and, and because it's the, the organizational culture is one of finger pointing. The moment something goes wrong, they want a scapegoat. And as a result, a lot of your really high value unlock, but uncertain or ambiguous projects really struggle to find internal buy-in because nobody wants to, everybody agrees that, some, that this needs to be done, but nobody wants to be the one to do it because it's messy yeah. and it takes time and, they, and you're going to get criticized. And if it doesn't work, eventually they're going to point to you as being the reason why it didn't work. And then these things just don't happen. I actually, yeah, it's, it, it's the bystander effect, right? Like you, you can literally have a room full of people saying, this is a great idea, but I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> this is incredible. I actually, I, I worked with a guy like this, uh, a project manager who it, somehow he was a pro at the Game of Thrones thing. He figured out how to keep his position 
with every high risk project sort of getting away from him and every low risk but easier reward project coming to him. But I eventually figured out, and this is if you're working with someone like that and you're doing a job you don't want to do and they're like a compliance type, this class prefect type, the one hack that I found which was brilliant was anything I didn't want to do, I tried to make the case that um, it had to be reviewed by somebody else first for risk. And then it was sitting in his plate and he wouldn't do it. So, so many projects I was able to get off because I gave it to the class prefect and the prefect got rid of it for me. Because, oh, he sat on it for like six months at a time, too busy to review the thing to tick the box. Um, it, it's a bit desperate that you, have to, uh, that you have to play people like that in a corporate to get anything done. But it is the unfortunate reality if you're in that world. This is all the adding to the red tape. Telling you that corporates are pulled a red tape, but he's out here on confession on the Bank Bros podcast, telling the thousands, the millions, and millions, millions, and millions that is out there contributing to the red tape to advance his career progression. Dude, like it's it's Game of Thrones. At at some point, you you're either a victim of the system or you learn how to work it. But Vince, you, you're touching on a really really powerful point, and that is that. If you choose to not play the game, it doesn't mean the game stops. It's, yes. You know, if you are within an organization that is structured and hierarchical and has people of different personalities, some of which are toxic and perverse and not in the company's best interest, you can choose to complain about it, you can bitch about it, you can choose to ignore it, or you can choose to have the emotional intelligence to understand how to leverage people and processes in a way that is to your best interest. You know, if you are in an environment that stifles innovation, but you have an innovative idea that you need to push through, then it is your prerogative to, uh, to, to understand how to navigate that organization in the best way to get that idea through. You have to understand who it is you need to go to to champion this idea and how to appeal to them to make it happen. And that's how you do it. And the truth is that often you will figure out after doing that exercise that it is too much effort and that idea will die. In some cases, you'll figure out, hey, you know what? This is worth me pushing forward. And you are able to push it forward in the right way and you're able to make it happen and, and benefit from the upside of it happening. But that's on yeah. you. It's up to you to make it work. We have outlined why this is a flawed system. But if you still want to exist and flourish within that system, you have to have the emotional intelligence to figure out how. Sure, Rick, I, I feel like I should drop a couple of hacks. I mean, things that I learned the hard way after 10 years of corporate, um, how to actually get things done. So buckle up. Uh, Forgiveness is easier than permission a lot of the times. Um, if you have something that you really want to do and it's something you can do, you can build a deck. In my case, it was building uh, little websites. Just do them because even if you get in trouble, at some point someone's going to figure that the cost of making you go away is higher than the value of keeping you and so they won't do it. You know, So you, you can actually afford to bend the rules a little bit assuming you're in a position where you, your job is not at risk. But the other one is, and this is like the number one hack, if you want to drive change management and get people to agree with you, figure out what you have to give your boss to make them look like a rock star to their boss. That's it. Whatever the, the thing is, the solution, uh, if you bring it to them first and you get their buy-in by making it obvious that supporting this is in their best interests, that should take it up. And a lot of people don't do that. They fall back to complaining because it's unfair or they look at their thing as being naturally better and people should just see it for the genius that it is. 
And maybe that's entirely true. But if you're dealing with people that have to make decisions, you have to make the decisions easy for those people. That's how you make progress. Squid game. Yes. Squid game. You did be dead. the villain. That's what it's just about the soccer. No spoilers. No. <laughs> 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 no spoilers. Give us that soundtrack. But you gotta put that soundtrack in of the Squid Game entrance. That's what you gotta do. That's okay. what we want from you. That's what we want from you. Listen. The chance of you becoming a CEO in a corporate are one in 135,000. Some of it goes up to one in 200,000. You play Squid Game. You play Squid Game times for 5,000 times. Right. You've got to win. That, that's the probability of you becoming a CEO of a company. Right? You will not, you will not, Kizzen, hard truth, hate to say it, bank bros, chances are you listening on this podcast, you'll not become a billionaire. You'll not become a CEO of a company either. Oh, Statistically, you won't. Going for the hard St- stuff on this one. Jeez. Statistically, you will not. If a thousand people are listening to this podcast, we'd be lucky if we get one CEO coming out of this. But, that's in a traditional sense. Nothing is stopping you from being a CEO of your own business, mm-hmm. being a CEO of your own destiny, being a high-powered executive that determines your future that doesn't compete with layers and layers of mediocrity within a corporate that suffocates innovation. Corporates yeah. are, like, are like ogres. They are like onions. They have layers. <laughs> many layers. Many, many layers. And, and this is the thing. If you... If you can figure out how to survive in corporate, you will get all the skills you need to build your own business, including dealing with people, convincing people to buy in, you know, making sales, building the processes. That's everything that I learned in the corporate that I worked at. Those skills are vital. And, and if your goal is to be at the top of an organization, there probably is no better sandbox to learn how to do this if you don't get trapped there, if you're conscious oh, and intentional Vince, about what you're taking out. You are, Vince, you are preaching. Oh, my brother, testify. The point. <laughs> It's it's a very, very powerful, it's somewhat contrarian point to what we've been discussing so far. The truth is that many people harbor the ambition of of building their own business, of being successful, of building an empire, of being a mogul, of being a big baller, a shot caller. And and I wish wish that for, for all of you, without restraint. But the truth is that for almost everyone, to be able to do that, to be in a position to do that, you need a series of hard and soft skills. And a corporate is almost always the best place to get those. You know, as a as a young, fresh-faced, wide-eyed kid straight out of university, you could have a fantastic idea. But if you don't have the relationships, or the technical skills, or the organizational knowledge, or the risk uh, knowledge, or the, or the financial um, experience to be able to turn that into a scalable growable business you will find that more often than not that great idea dies somewhere along the way and so those who the people who have a few years of targeted growth in a corporate environment are often able to leverage those skills disproportionately to turn those great ideas into being great businesses yeah and that's just my observation 
it absolutely is. And, you know, everything is a trade-off. Um, you know, I feel like, just like with the corporate travel and, and the marketing and the, and the glamorous lifestyle, it looks great, but they don't tell you what you have to trade in order to get that. And everything is a trade. And most trades you can choose not to make. You can choose not to uh, to go to particular meetings or to put extra effort in some way or to pick up a course mm-hmm. on the side or learn a new skill. You can choose not to do that and instead to do whatever you're most comfortable with. But growth is always outside your comfort zone. It always requires you to make the choice where you have to give something up to get what you want. And corporates give, it's, like I said, it's like a sandbox. It's, it's like a mini version of the real world. You have all the people, the ego, the politics, you get to kind of see how it works, figure out how to make it work for you. And then you can leave with some experience and some ideas of your own and start a new business. That's how industries evolve. They don't evolve from the inside out. They evolve by people starting their own things and knocking over their competitors down the road. And then you look at the history of business, that's just how it goes. So if that's what you, where you want to end up at the top of the pyramid, you first have to learn how to lay bricks. We have to listen. We are going to call you Long Street because you have bars. <laughs> wow. Wow. Let's walk you to a bar. Ellie hurts his head. Listen. Popularity over performance. Popularity over performance. People say, I don't want to play the political game. I'm just here to do my work. Guess what? If you put enough people in a confined space, there will be politics. There will be animal farm. You will be a hierarchy. There will be people backstabbing. You will be a bad episode of Survivor. You're going to get voted off that island. Guess what? If you're sitting in a team meeting, you don't know who the weakest link is, you're the weakest link. Listen, if, if you take nothing else from this podcast, take this. If you don't play the game, the game plays you. Ah, oh, triple A, James. <laughs> triple A, pedigree. <laughs> It's all about the game. There we go. That's exactly it. You can be a rock star, but you're stuck in a toxic team. Bad. You can be a rock star. You're stuck with a bad line manager. Bad. bad. You can be a rock star. You're stuck with a bad project. You're stuck with a bad client that complains. You're stuck with someone that doesn't like you and they won't PA won't send the direct invites to your email address and make <laughs> these meetings. They will book you the bad flights. They will book you the bad hotels. The one of the most critical, important, vital people in the chain. I'm not even really higher ups. They're people that survive of fulfilling the admin functions for you. Those are people that can make your life a nightmare if they hate you. They will book you on the terrible flights at 4 a.m. And they will book you the terrible one-star hotels. We're gonna carry your own water on the plane. They will book you on. And only 100 milliliters. That's your water for the trip. That's it. You only have 100 milliliters. That's it. 100 milliliters. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm crying on the inside. Rick Flair sends earlier trip. He had to sell a toothpaste company and he brought toothpaste back. Rick Flair oh. had to empty out the toothpaste at the airport in front of everybody. Rick Flair gave me the, the biggest tub of toothpaste I've ever seen in my life. I used that toothpaste for 18 months. I smelled like Tanzanian minty freshness. A wild cagey toothpaste. You've got to see it to believe it. That was a dark time. The, the, the deal didn't go through for political oh. reasons. I can't. I can't. But, but the entire point is, you don't know who controls your fate. You walk into a company, you leave your CV at the front desk, and you don't greet the woman. She takes your CV and throws it in the bed. 
<laughs> it's done. It never sees the light of day. Right? And the problem is you don't know in the entire chain of a corporate who's the most important person and who can I who can determine your future. Because you know what? That CEO or high-powered executive doesn't know who the fuck you are. But he will rely on the testimonies and the feedback and the views from the other people who do know you to make that decision. And how do people talk about you when you're not in the room is more important than what they're going to tell you when you're in that room. Oh, yeah. And so there's one, I mean, there's one specific circumstance I want to speak to because I know a lot of our listeners are at the start of their careers and a lot of predominantly uh, the jobs you take are are grad programs that have an element of rotations within them. And so I've been in, in that kind of environment. And I will say to you, from my experience and, and from my observation of the experience of many, many, many other people, do not assume that even as a grad, you are above politics. When you are in a position to pick a rotation, 100% of the time, pick the manager that you would be working for over the team that you'd be working or over the work that you'd be doing. A lot of the time I see people falling into the trap of, I want to work in XYZ. I want to work in corporate finance. I want to work in leverage finance. I want to work in PE. And they are so fixated on that. that you want to work in PE? You want to work in Elizabeth? Windy Why City. You <laughs> Windy City. Not knowing, not knowing that they were, they are choosing to, to enter turbulent waters because the wind is going to be against their sails. But the point is, choose to work in, choose always, always, always optimize for the leader and the team you'd be working for, even if it comes at the expense of the specific content or the, the, the type of work, because you can grow multiples, three, four, five times as much spending six months working in an environment and for a team that is not so political and hierarchical that they are willing to bring you in and grow you than to spend six months working in a sexy team where everybody's watching their back and trying to keep their job and they look at you as a threat to their stability and nobody invests in you. That's the cool. attack. There we go. There that, we go. It's easily, hacks. That's the easily the best one. And, and what, what are you talking about? Taking control of your future, making those game plans, doing everything on your own terms. You've got to understand that personal time in a corporate, unless you protect it, is a foreign concept. It is a foreign concept. It's not a day slavery. You feel guilty about stepping away from an hour to run an errand because you're wondering who's checking if you're on the desk. You feel guilty about taking the leave request. You feel guilty about putting in a resignation request. What happens to the team, what happens to the desk, guess what? If you die on the job, they're going to send some middle manager, some junior analyst, some guy to come to your funeral, have a seance, and ask you where you saved that Excel model. That's what is exactly going to happen. <laughs> 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 it's true. It's true. Right? But it is true. It is true. But you feel like the entire company hinges on you. Nothing's going to move on. Guess what? They're there because there's something you can offer them. And you've got to take your personal time because guess what? You are the money maker. Not the company. Mm, if you don't imagine. take care of yourself, you're never going to be able to make more cash. So you don't protect your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your family, your relationships, things that make you happy, things that energize you. Guess what? You are effectively now a mindless little cyborg for the company and the company loves that. 
They love to have someone that's just going to go there and serve them without any expectation of claiming back any level of personal time. I mean, imagine, imagine going into pick and pay or checkers or whichever retailer you, you so choose, picking up your groceries, going to the till, paying for it, and then feeling guilty about taking your groceries because you're like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe I don't need to take my milk and bread. Maybe I can leave it. You know, maybe pick and pay will be better off if they have it. You would never do that. So why then do you feel guilty about taking contractually mandated time that, that is in your best interest? For some reason, we have created this culture within organizations where there is guilt around you taking the time that you are entitled to as per your contract, as per your commercial transaction, often at the and often not taking it to the prejudice of your own health, either physical or mental. Mm. It's crazy. You'd never do it in any other facet of your life, any other commercial transaction. But for your job, it seems to be that this is the culture that has been created. And it, it is a commercial transaction. You're, you're paying with your time in return for your salary and benefits, and that should be the end of it to some extent. Like your life exists outside of the work you do as well. Um, no, you're right. I've seen that so often. And it's, I feel like it's cultural almost, especially in the pre-COVID work from office era. Remember those days where people would judge you and gossip about you, like, you know, how you left your desk, were you there or not? Were you making too much noise in the kitchen? Like people pick up things about you. And I think that adds to the pressure. I mean, I don't know, Sean, has that changed in your view now that we've got like remote work is like a bigger thing? Yeah. Right? Has there actually been a shift there? So here's the thing. Uh, one of the major differences that remote work enforced was the shift from being input focused to output focused because, mm. because you no longer had visibility on the input. You didn't know how much time people were working. You couldn't use that as a measure of performance. You had to actually look at output. Uh, you have to actually see what is this person delivering. The point, I think what will be the real difficulty is as we transition into a world that will inevitably be hybrid, the, the, the comfort zone for a lot of leaders and managers is in person. And so even though there will be on paper this agreement of hybrid, many, many leaders and managers and executives will, will tend to heavily towards in-person for difficult things because that's their comfort zone. And you may find that the hard-fought gains that you got around protecting your personal time get slowly and slowly and slowly eroded. You, they start off by saying you can work from home three days a week, and then your manager starts to say, we've got this key meeting, I need you in the office. And then it becomes two days a week. And then they start saying, hey, you know, we've got this team building event. We're scheduling it on this day. We, we need everybody in person because we're scheduling an in-person team building. And then it starts becoming one day. And then eventually what happens is you slowly lose a lot of that, that substantive benefit that you got from, from working from home. And so just be aware of it. Be conscious of it and make sure you understand what it is that is inflexible and what you're willing to flex on and for the stuff that's inflexible my people fight for it eh? fight hold on for as long as you can on what is most important to you and know what you're willing to give up the biggest tragedy i see are people that can't distinguish their personal identities away from their job they become their job 
those are the people at the prime. What do you do? Uh, that's the first question they open it. Why? Because they're loading up to tell you that they're the regional manager. They're the assistant <laughs> to the regional, regional manager, manager. <laughs> <laughs> for Dunderbufflet, right? And, and you know, Dunderbufflet had some hard times, but they were performing financially a lot better under Michael Scott, it must be said. Um, <laughs> but, you, you, you know, Dunderbufflet Paper Company is a great example of how people started out Julia. They, they went to business school, they became high-powered execs, then they got fired, and then they then came they, back. Then they did drugs. Then they did drugs. Right, we won't mention names, <laughs> right? But, you, 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 Ryan started the fire. Ryan started the fire. <laughs> you, you've got to have an identity away from your job, because your job doesn't define who you are. Right now, you know this, but we call ourselves what? <laughs> Short of being unemployed hobos, when, when in reality, we can call ourselves everything. Blockchain enthusiasts, digital marketing. Digital well, native. Digital native oh, CEO and self-employed. <laughs> you know, you can models, talk, yeah. you can fashion, fashion, fashion planners, fashion planners. You can call yourself, you, you, know, you can look at everything with the sports nutrition, wellness experts. Digital branding, gurus, whatever. Guru, content creators, growth hacker. Uh, yes, exactly. Award winning podcasters gave ourselves an award. But titles are a, 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 a crutch. Titles are there purposefully. They're there for you to give you an illusion of being more self important than you are because they know that you place societal weight. And your ego loves being massaged, and you feel more important than you actually are when you have a fancy vice president, executive director, shot caller title on your business card. Well, in actual fact, outside of that little building, even in that building, it doesn't count for shit. And so this is a great point, and, and I want to bring in some, some theory that is, that there's this concept of, of greedy work, and it's gotten a lot of press, particularly in, in American uh, business publications in the last few years. And, and what greedy work basically is, is there are jobs that pay you a disproportionate amount in absolute terms in exchange for being absolutely greedy with your time and with your predictability. And so if you think about a job like corporate finance or management consulting, where there are, you are being paid in absolute terms a, a disproportionate amount, but in exchange, the company has the right to be greedy with your time. They can ask you to work late. They can ask you to work weekends. And so, and 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 what we and and what has been been documented about these type of types of jobs is because these jobs consume so much of your life. There isn't a lot of space for you to get satisfaction and get. You know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, the job is consuming all your time. So the job has to give you the entire pyramid. And the result of that is disproportionately people who do that type of work tend to attach their identity, their psychological and psychophysical well-being to the job because the job consumes all their time and they don't have time to define themselves outside of it. If you are in corporate finance and you're spending all your time living finance, corporate, corporate finance. finance, that's how you know Wall Street bounce bracket every hitter. 
doesn't have F1 key on his keyboard. Then, then you, that's, that's what, that's, that's your identity. That becomes who you are because it consumes all your time. There's no space. There's no time for you to be anyone else. So when you, when somebody asks you, you know, what do you do? You're like, I'm in corporate finance. And that, and that is, that, that becomes your identity. And the truth is, and you know, I think Rick, you spoke to it. You become a little king. Within a little queen between your in your little in your office, you become a in your kingdom, and then you go outside into the real world, and you get frustrated because you're not a king anymore. You get frustrated at Woolworths because you have to stand in a line, and you think to yourself, "Do they not know I am a vice president?" You get frustrated because you have to. There, there are crowds in the wall in the mall, and do they not know? I am a managing director. How dare they be busy? Assistant to the regional manager. Assistant to... I am so busy. My time is so important. I only have an hour free on the weekend. How dare they be a queue in the supermarket? Acopus knows yeah. this. Acopus, they reward people with cheap rewards. Let's go on off-site. Let's go on training. Let's go on a brunch. Let's go on a team dinner. By the way, we need to set up a bag of eggs. But you know what people really want? You know what they truly want? They don't want endless offsites. They don't want training. They don't want extra fruits in the bowl. They don't want breakfast on a Friday. They don't want those little USB sticks that nobody uses. You know what they want? They want to get paid. Yes. So people, you appreciate them by paying them because you know what? People want to know they valued financially. They don't care about everything else. Yeah, it's a big part of it, sure. But you know what? Pay people more. It'll fix a lot of the other problems. Trust me, when people get paid, you're not going to have complaining, but it'll change the culture. Why? Because they feel valued and they know they can use that financial resource in a versatile way to do what makes them happy. And team building doesn't make a lot of people happy. Free lunches don't make a lot of people happy. Nights out don't make a lot of people happy. But cash, you know what the problem cash is? makes people happy. The way, the way corporates work is, this corporate will pay an inflated sum to another company to cater for this. And then one day somebody looks at it and they're like, the company paid 40,000 rands a week for my breakfast. They should have just paid it to me. And it inevitably creates that reaction in people when they realize how much you spent on this bullshit benefit. And they're like, but guys, that, that money would have helped, would have been so much more beneficial in my pocket. And, that's, and, and so consistently, that is the reaction that organizations create when they spend money on these frivolous things. Just pay people, man. Just pay. Just pay people. Let's wrap it up. Let's, you're Best advice for someone who's slumming it out in a corporate listening to this podcast right now, nodding in agreement with all of the points we made, loving it, sharing it with all of their people in the work WhatsApp group because they sub tweeting people. They want people to know. They want that line manager who's overpaid or under delivers, who's useless. They want them to listen to this podcast and get called out. For those people right now, what's your best advice? Take control of your life and be and know what your trade-offs are. You know, like I think I'll keep coming back to that because there, there is some extent to this where you know it, it's the choices you make. Even if it, if you feel like you don't have a choice, you're just not seeing it. Somewhere there's a choice that you're not making that's not getting you what you want. 
So I would say start there. Look at the decisions you're making and why you're making them. So stop putting yourself on a path away from where you are right now. SBK, I'm just a sexy boy. Shawn Michaels, what's your best advice for someone slumming it out in a corporate right now listening to this podcast? Understand what, optimize for the right things. Understand what is most important to you and optimize for it. If you have a limited amount of, if you have 16 hours a day in, an, in, in a job and you know, and it is most important to you to learn modeling skills unless you realize that and develop it, you can't optimize for it in your job. So you need to know, you need to know what's important to you in your professional life. You need to know what's important to you in your personal life because that will also help you make difficult decisions when the time comes. If you know and you have clearly articulated in your mind that spending time with my significant other is the most important thing to me, you will have a line in the sand when your job reaches a point where it is compromising on that thing, that you will have the confidence to make the decision to get out of an unhealthy environment. And I've seen it happen so many times when people are in an unhappy environment and they remain in that environment until they lose something far more important to them than that job. Rick Flair's advice. Constantly create opportunities. Constantly create opportunities. If you're unhappy with the job and it's time to pull the plug, it's too late for you to start reviewing putting on your CV. It's too late. Why? Six months too late. Wait, six months. It's going to take you six months. You're stuck in that place. You always got to have backup plans every single day in the company. A backup. And it's, it's not a matter of, oh, look at me. I'm a deal maker and I'm hustling it out. And I, I have game It's a matter of survival in this economy. With unemployment where it is, with people retrenching post-COVID, with the skill shortage, with even better, not even the risk elements, with the opportunity elements, with jobs overseas, you want a job overseas, but hey, it's going to take you a couple of months to secure a visa. Well, what are you going to do? You need a, a, a cover letter, you need a reference, but you don't have good relationships. What are you going to do? Always think things through and set them up and set them up soon. Everyone wants things are perfect. I want a perfect job. I want a perfect uh, person to date, which is Ric Flair. Like Ric Flair is, is not a monogamous guy. He's got trust issues. He's got commitment issues. He, he belongs to the streets. He's Most part of the one percent, right? But here we go. Man's best part of one percent. He's in the streets. But that's what we're gonna say. You've got, you've got to secure that contingency plan because you know what? Contingency plans are not contingencies. They're your future plans. Treat yeah. them like that and write it down and say, "I'm giving myself eighteen months in a row. Put it down eighteen months and stick to it. Time block Otherwise." You will wake up at 55 years old, sitting in a cubicle with a little 5K bonus and wondering, where's my life gone? I've given it all to the company. What's the company giving me? A little feature in the newsletter. Fuck that shit. Fuck the newsletter. Absolutely. Don't fuck the pancakes newsletter. We'll sell that one. No, don't fuck the pancakes newsletter. <laughs> I, I just, I have to very quickly, Rick, just on top of what you said, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it took me five years. I just want to put that number out there. It took me five years between the date I decided to start putting money together to quit and start my own business and having enough cash plus skills plus connections to do it. December 2013 through May 2018. That's how long it took me. So if you're still thinking about this, you know, and you're putting pen to paper today, it, it can, could take you at least that long, depending on what you want to do. So like, if you haven't started already, it's probably too late. You've got to get going. Bank rolls. Start. 
Now, that's it from Vince and HBK Shawn Michaels. We're number one podcast numero uno. Let's keep us at the top. Stop at the top. The bank bro's always on top. Bank bro's always on top. (laughs) Sign up. Let's go. We're out.